turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. I don't feel like I'm making any impact. I don't see your hand moving in any way. And no one is giving you a pat on the back saying, good job. You have to be able to learn to be content with the Lord. Praise to the God who reigns above. Jesus. Sometimes you wonder and say, you know, why the life? Why 30 years of just being a guy? Really? That's all he was? Was just a guy? And descends in perfect love. He's a boy who grew up and became a man and lost his father and then took over the family business, provided for his family. His 30th year, then for three years, he had a ministry. Holy Sometimes you wonder, why the 33 years? Why not just come onto the scene and do your thing and then go away? Preparation. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. God had spent the first seven chapters of Leviticus giving Moses instructions on how their offerings and sacrifices were to be conducted. We saw the burnt, the grain, the peace, the trespass, and the sin offerings. Now it is time for Aaron and his family to prepare themselves for service. We join Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 8, verse 1. Remember the whole theme of the book of Leviticus is that God has called his people to be holy. In Exodus, he had made them a promise that he would be their God and they would be his people. And now that they've entered into that relationship with God, he calls them to be different. He calls them to be holy. And that's what Leviticus is about. Now, the first section of Leviticus was all about the offerings. That's how they would be different than the other people in the world, the other ways that they would worship their gods and whatnot. We went over the five different offerings. We went over three of them were voluntary. Remember, you had the burnt offering, the one that symbolized our surrender to God. Then you had the meal offering or the grain offering, which symbolized their service to God. If you wanted to just give your whole life to God, you'd bring a burnt offering. If you wanted to bring your service to God for a specific period of time, Lord, I want to dedicate the next three months to serving you in some capacity, you'd bring a grain offering. And then they had the peace offering. And there were lots of reasons you could do that. You could do that and just be thankful for something specific the Lord had done. Or if you just wanted to hang out with him, or if you wanted to make a, a, a vow to him, a fresh commitment to him in some way, you'd come and make the peace offering. Those were all voluntary, not required by anyone. Then you had the other two offerings, the sin offering and the trespass offering. Those were required. The only difference was the sin offering was something you did by mistake. You didn't intend to do the wrong thing, but you broke God's law anyway. The trespass offering is you knew full well what you're doing was wrong and you did it anyway. In both cases, you had to bring these offerings. And then the trespass offering, if it affected someone else, you had to make a 20% restitution. That was kind of where we've been so far. And now in chapter 8, we come to the second section of Leviticus, and it goes back to narrative. So Moses has been receiving all these instructions for the offerings. Now with all those instructions there, in chapter 8, we come back to the narrative, and it deals with the commencing of the priesthood. See, in order to approach God, a Jewish worshiper needed not only an offering, 
but also the mediation of a priest. They just couldn't go into the Holy of Holies and, or into the holy place or into the tabernacle itself and do anything. They had to have a mediator as a priest who would do it for them. And thus in chapter 8, we see the institution of the priesthood to conduct the spiritual ritual that was the next step in implementing Israel's communion with a holy God. So chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and a bullock for the sin offering, and two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread. And gather thou all the congregation together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly was gathered together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses said unto the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord commanded to be done. So here we see the consecration of the priests. You know, he's going to gather Aaron and his sons. He's going to bring the garments when we learn about them in Exodus, I want to say chapter 28. And then we learned about all the, not just their garments, but their consecration ceremony, which we're going to see here today in chapter 29 of Exodus. So now it's actually going to take place. So some of this will be repetitious if you are with us in Exodus 28 and 29. So I won't be going over all the minute details. If you want to learn more about the garments, about the oil, go back and get the CD I would recommend for those sections so that uh, you can maybe get caught up on that. So here is God's command to consecrate the priesthood. He says, take Aaron and his sons with him, all the special garments, and he says, the anointing oil, and a bullock for a sin offering, and two rams. One would be for a burnt offering, the other would be for a peace offering. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, peace offering. And a basket of unleavened bread. We actually learned about that in chapter 7 of Leviticus where he would be bringing his, dedicating his service to the Lord. So they'd have a basket there of, of, of uh, baked bread that he would eat and gather all the congregation together. So you're not just going to bring Aaron and his sons, but the whole congregation of Israel, all two million people. You're going to get them together and bring them to the entrance of the tabernacle of the congregation. And so Moses does that. He gathers all Israel together to consecrate the priesthood. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, verse 4, and the assembly was gathered together unto the entrance of the tabernacle of the congregation. And then Moses announces to the congregation, this which you're about to see, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded to be done. Now, notice here that Moses explains to the people why, why they're doing this. He doesn't just bring them in and then just start going, getting to work. He explains to them, we're doing this because this is what God's word told us to do. And that's what a good leader does. It's what a good pastor does. He explains God's word to God's people so they know why, why, we're, why we do this. You know, frequently as Christians, we hear, well, this is what we're supposed to do, or this is what a Christian does, this is what a Christian doesn't do, but we don't understand the reasons why, we don't understand where it comes from in God's word, and then someone, you know, asks us, why, why don't you do this? And we go, I don't know, we're Christians, we don't do that. And that all of a sudden seems like a very weak type of way to respond when you're now confronted with your own temptation to do something you've heard you're not supposed to do, but you're not even sure why. And so Moses does the good job of a leader and he explains to the people, the thing that we're doing now is because God's word tells us to. That's why we're doing it. So everything they're about to observe, he says it's because God's word told us to do this. Now, why did God do this publicly? Well, so that Israel would remember that although the priest mediated for the people, he was a sinner saved by grace just like them. You know, that he could be a high priest that would sympathize with their weaknesses, with their struggles. You know, when he would come up, when you would come up with your animal in tow, 
And, you know, he'd look at you and go, hey, John, how you doing? Not so good. What happened? Wasn't watching a couple of the animals out there, and they got into the neighbor's field, ate up all his crops, whatever. And then I got mad when he accused me of doing it on purpose, and I lost my temper, and here I am. I got Bessie with me now. Aaron could look at them, and he could go, I understand. I've lost my temper, too, before. I've acted in ways that God says I shouldn't, and he forgave me. Let's go make this right with God. And then together, he would lead them through that process of making things right with God. He, God did this publicly, so they would never put the high priest in a place where they would see him as as a man of God, but still see him as a man, a man who needed to be forgiven just like they needed to be. Verse six, here we go with the ceremony. So Moses brought Aaron and his sons and he washed them with water. I don't know if he gave them a public bath completely. I imagine they were probably wearing some skivvies or something, but he brought them there to the entrance and he bathed them ceremonially. The idea is we'll get to the symbolism of that later on. And then it says in verse seven, once they had been washed in water, he put upon him Now we're going to get through all the garments. The coat, that would be the the coat we usually think of as an outer garment. But here, this would have been the undergarment that we'd had there. He put the undergarment then and girded him with the girdle, which would be the sash. And then he clothed him with the outer robe and put the ephod on him. That would be like, remember that uh, suspenders like with with a chest plate? He would put that on him. And he said the curious girdle of the ephod, it would be tied down here to the sash. That's what the curious girdle is. And he bound it unto him therewith. These were parts that all had to be tied and bound together for them to work. And then once all that was there, he took the breastplate and he put it on his chest. And also he put in the breastplate the urim and the thummim. Remember, we don't know exactly what those were. Most people think they were probably a black stone and a white stone. And that was oftentimes how they would go to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want us to do? And they'd pull one out. We don't do that today, of course. We have God's complete word to know what he wants us to do in that sense. In verse 9, he put the miter, which would just be the, the turban, upon his head. And upon that turban, even upon the forefront, he put the golden plate, the holy crown. Remember, it said holiness unto the Lord. He put that on the turban as the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron is clothed in all the high priest's garments. So once he's all fully clothed, verse 10, Moses now is going to prepare Aaron and the tabernacle for service. And so Moses took the anointing oil. Remember, this was a special recipe that was only to be used for this purpose. It was a very sticky resin. We think of anointing oil like we have here, and we dab you a little bit when we pray for you for healing or something of that nature. This is not like that stuff. This is like syrupy, thick, you know, stuff that you would smear on there, and it was incredibly sticky. It's not Crisco. Moses took the anointing oil, and he anointed or smeared the tabernacle and everything that was in it, and by doing so, he sanctified them. The word there sanctify means to set apart from normal duties to God's use. So these things that were used in the tabernacle, they would be used for nothing else. They would be solely used for the service of and worship of the Lord. And he sprinkled thereof upon the altar seven times. So he took the oil and he sprinkled is not a good word again. It's more smeared. Smeared it upon the altar seven times. And so he anointed the altar and all of his vessels both the laver and his foot to sanctify them. So he goes into the tabernacle building, anoints everything there, comes outside into the court where there were the two objects, the brass altar of sacrifice and the brass laver, which was like a big tub. That's where they would wash up after butchering the animal. And so he had put smears, all of that. And then he comes to Aaron and he poured of the anointing oil on Aaron's head. Whatever's left, dumped it on top of his head. And so the, it would come down and it begin to drip all throughout his garments and everything upon his head. And he anointed him to sanctify him. 
Moses brought Aaron's sons then, after all this was done with Aaron. And then he put their coats upon them, because they were his assistants. He had four sons. And girded them with their sashes, their girdles. And he put bonnets, is a very cute word. It just means another hat. I don't think they called them bonnets. Maybe not. Who knows the times they lived in. And he put their hats upon them, the headpieces, as the Lord commanded Moses. So everything that God said to do in Exodus 29, it's taking place right here. The tabernacle, again, was to be used only for the worship of God. And Aaron was only to be used to mediate between God and his people with his sons as his assistants. Not just anybody could do this. Remember when King Uzziah went in because he, he was a very popular king. He was a godly man, but he got proud in his old age. Remember what he did? He went in to go make offerings in the temple. And what did the Lord do? He struck him with leprosy. The priest came in and they marched up to him and said, Uzziah, what are you doing? You're a dead man. You have no business being here. And he's like, I'm the king. You know, I'm going to do these things. You know, I'm God's man. And the Lord says, you're not Aaron's descendant though. You can't do this. You're messing up the whole picture. The idea is, you may look forward, of course, to Christ. There's one mediator between God and man, the high priest, right? And who's our mediator? Who's our great high priest? Jesus, yeah. He's our great high priest. You can't have the king who can do it too. So Uzziah's messing up this image, you know, that's supposed to be pointing forward to Christ. And so the Lord strikes him with leprosy and he has to go outside the camp. So no one would ever, ever confuse the person that's supposed to be the mediator. And that way we would never get confused in the future and think that someone else could be our mediator. A family member can't be your mediator. Government official can't be your mediator. I can't be your mediator. No church leader can be your mediator. Jesus is your mediator and anyone else who tries to get between you and God but him needs to get out of the way because Jesus died so he could have that place. Jesus died for us so that we would be able to go straight to his father through him and we'd have to have no other obstacles to that relationship with God. Verse 14, after they've been prepared and anointed, now they have to be provided for. And so we see here in verse 14, the offerings are brought forth for their consecration. Verse 14 says, and he, referring to Moses, brought the bullock for the sin offering. There'll be three offerings that are made for Aaron, and the first one is the sin offering. Again, all of these instructions are in Exodus 29, so I'm not going to belabor all the details and what they symbolize because we went through it there. And he brought the bullock for the sin offering. And so Aaron and his sons laid their cans upon the head of the bullock for the sin offering. And Moses slew it. And Moses took the blood and put it upon the horns of the altar, round about with his finger. And he purified the altar. And he poured the blood at the bottom of the altar and sanctified it. Again, set it apart for God's use so that this would be able to make reconciliation upon it. This is the brass altar of sacrifice. This is where all the meat would be cooked, where all the offerings that were given to the Lord would be placed and consumed. The word there for make reconciliation, it means to cover over, to atone for sin, to satisfy wrath. That's what happened there at that altar. God is angry at sin every day, the Bible says. There's never a time where God isn't angry at sin. God never looks at something wrong or something sinful and goes, eh, wasn't that big a deal. It's a white lie. God is angry at sin every day because he's sees the effects of it. Can you imagine what it's like to be God and to see all the horrors that occur because men choose to do things not his way? God is angry at sin every day, every day, and it's a holy, just anger. And therefore, all of our sin needs to be atoned for. Now, the beautiful thing, this offering that's made for Aaron, and it's consecrating him for service, he would have to do that every time he sinned. We don't have to do that because Jesus paid the price for all of our sin. He is our sin offering. Here we find, though, that they're doing this so that the altar can now be used for that purpose. The altar now has been set apart for God's use. That reconciliation, that atonement can be made upon that altar. Jesus, sometimes you wonder and say, you know, why the life? My 30 years of just being a guy, 
Really? That's all he was? He was just a guy? He's a boy who grew up and became a man and lost his father and then took over the family business, provided for his family. His 30th year, then for three years, he had a ministry. Sometimes you wonder, why the 33 years? Why not just come onto the scene and do your thing and then go away? Preparation. We learned about it in Hebrews 5 in our scripture reading where it talks about how as the son of God, even though he was a son, even though he's not like us, he wasn't in rebellion to God, even though he never sinned. As a son, he still learned obedience to his father. And when he came to the full completion of that, which was dying on the cross for our sins, when he said, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. I've done the job. I came here and from start to finish, I did your will. I learned obedience. I did everything you asked me to do. It says that because of that, because of his perfection, he came to that completion of the job that God sent him to do. It says that he has now become the captain of our salvation. He can lead us into obedience. He can lead us into that place where we're finding a struggle. We're finding a place where God's calling us to be obedient and we're struggling. He can lead us through that and empower us so that we can be successful in our obedience as well because he's the captain of our salvation. Well, Jesus, that whole life of preparation, he went through things that you and I went through during those times. He lost loved ones. He went through difficult jobs, probably had angry customers at times. Sometimes he said, oh, I, I didn't do anything wrong and I don't understand why they're mad. I can't imagine Jesus was an imperfect carpenter, but I'm sure there was somebody who complained about something. So he obeyed the Lord through all of those situations and now he can lead us into obedience in those same situations because he's experienced them. He is a merciful, the Bible says, and faithful high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our weaknesses, our struggles, because he went through them too, except with one exception, he never sinned. Verse 16, Moses here, he takes all of the fat that's upon the inwards and the call above the liver and the two kidneys and their fat and he burns them on the altar. Remember, that's what they did with the sin offering. Again, I'm not gonna go into that too much. But the bullock and his hide is the skin. They would skin first. And then his meat and his dung burnt with fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. All of that was taken outside the camp. The idea of his sin being sent away, being expunged, being forgiven. And so the sin offering is done for Aaron. Atonement is made for him. Now that atonement is made, we're going to get to the burnt offering for Aaron and his sons. And the idea here is the atonement was made to deal with their sin and the sin offering here. Now through their burnt offering, it's going to symbolize their surrendered service to God there in the tabernacle. Verse 18, and he, Moses, brought the ram for the burnt offering and Aaron and his sons, they laid their hands upon the head of the ram and he killed it. And Moses sprinkled the blood upon the altar round about and he cut the ram into pieces and Moses burnt the head and the fat pieces and the fat. And he washed the inwards and the legs in water and Moses burnt the whole ram upon the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet savor and an offering made by fire unto the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. The burnt offering, everything went to God. Nothing was left for anyone else. Everything went there on the altar and was consumed upon the altar. The idea of symbolizing that your whole life belonged to God. For Aaron and his sons, all of their service here as the priests would be to the Lord. And so they needed to be surrendered. So this would symbolize that. Verse 22, the third offering for them was made, and this one was the peace offering. And he brought the other ram, the ram of consecration. The idea now they were dedicating not just their whole lives, but every act of service they did there to the Lord. And he brought the other ram, the ram of consecration. And so Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of this ram, the second ram. And he slew it, and Moses took of the blood of it and put it upon the tip of Aaron's right ear and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. And he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put the blood upon the tip of their right ear, and upon the thumbs of their right hands, and upon the great toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood upon the altar round about. Now that's interesting. We don't see any mention of sandals or anything like that. 
He's just got a big old toe hanging out there, and that's how they work in the tabernacle. Now, that shouldn't surprise us too much, because remember what the Lord told Moses when he came to the burning bush? What did he say? Take the shoes from off your feet, for the place where you stand now is holy ground. So it's very likely these guys serve barefoot in the tabernacle. They slay the animal, and they take the blood, puts it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, upon the thumb of his right hand, upon the great toe of his right foot. The ram of consecration, the word consecrate means to set or install something. The idea here is that this now is going to initiate the process. Once this is done, they're going to be able to go in there and begin serving the Lord. The blood there being placed upon the right ear and upon the right thumb, the right big toe, it symbolized their consecration to first off hear the voice of God. That was part of the job of the priest. He would go to the Lord on behalf of the people to hear from God. And so the idea is his ears were to be set apart to listen to the Lord. Not that counsel's bad, but he wasn't supposed to go and talk to a bunch of the leaders of Israel and go, okay, this is what you should do. No, he was to go straight to the Lord. Then he would be placed upon their hand, the right thumb, because it was to be consecrated to do the work of God. Everything they were doing there was for the Lord. And then it was to be placed upon their right big toe so that they would always walk in the ways of God. So it symbolized those three things. Now, verse 25, we see that after the blood is placed upon Aaron and his son's extremities, it says here, he took the fat, that's Moses, and the rump and all the fat that was upon the inwards and the call above the liver and the two kidneys and their fat and the right shoulder. And again, the significance of this, you can study Leviticus 3 to get more information on the peace offering and the significance of these things. And out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake and a cake of oiled bread and one wafer, one pancake, and he put them on the fat and upon the right shoulder. There were portions that belonged to God, the best portion, the fat and the right shoulder, and then a couple of these uh, baked pieces of bread. And he took them and he placed them all upon Aaron's hands and upon Aaron's son's hands, and he waved them for a wave offering before the Lord. So they would take this portion that was going to be given to God and they would wave it toward the altar. Now, the reason they did that, some would be going to God, some would be going to the priest, and some would be going to the person who brought the sacrifice. In this case, of course, they're not going to be having this type of a big feast this time, and there's no priests yet. They're still going through the ritual, even though it's not quite the same. And Moses, verse 28, he took them from off their hands, and then he burnt them upon the altar on top of the burnt offering. So on top of the big monstrosity there with the head and all the legs and everything that are burning on the altar, he'd take all the, this stuff and put it on top of that. They were consecrations for a sweet savor. It was an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So this was God's portion. This was Aaron's offering of thanks for his acceptance by God for this task, that God had forgiven his sins, that God accepted his surrender. And this was Aaron and his son's way of saying, thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege of doing this, for accepting our service. Even though Aaron would eat a portion of this offering to fellowship with God. Again, the wave offering symbolized that everything belonged to God. It's almost like they were giving it to the altar, but then bringing it back because some of it would be consumed by Aaron and by Moses. Verse 29, now we find Moses's portion here. The only time he served as a priest this way, so he got to eat, setting up the principle how that would be the way it would be for Aaron and his sons when they served. Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord. For the ram of consecration, it was Moses's part, as the Lord commanded Moses. And then verse 30, Moses took of the anointing oil and of the blood which was upon the altar and he sprinkled it upon Aaron and upon his garments and upon his sons and upon his son's garments with him and he sanctified Aaron and his garments and his sons and his son's garments with them. So Aaron and his sons are set apart, dedicated to God's service now. They can now function as priests. 
So, 31. And Moses said unto Aaron and to his sons, Boil the flesh. That was the part of the last offering that they were going to eat now. Boil the flesh at the door, the entrance to the tabernacle of the congregation. And there eat it with the bread that is in the basket, the leftovers. Remember, a couple pieces went to God. But what's left, I want you to eat it with the bread that is in the basket of consecrations, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And that which remains of the flesh and of the bread, you shall burn with fire. Whatever leftovers you have, don't save it, burn it with fire. And you shall not go out of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. You don't go home after you get done eating. In fact, you're going to stay here at the entrance for seven days until the days of your consecration be at an end. For seven days shall he consecrate you. For seven days, Moses tells him, tonight you're going to eat the meal that we've prepared and then you're going to eat the meat and the bread. When you're done, you're going to burn the leftovers and then you're going to hang out here for seven days. Everybody else is going to go home, but you're going to hang out here at the tabernacle for seven days. Verse 34, as he has done this day, so the Lord is commanded to do to make atonement for you. Therefore, shall you abide at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation day and night, seven days, and you're going to keep the charge of the Lord that you die not, for so I am commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all things which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. This has always fascinated me, this whole section here because all the people go home to their tents Moses goes home to his tent and Aaron's just hanging out there camping in the tabernacle with his sons and Jesus hanging out with the Lord for seven days now why would God have them do that well Moses says so that you might keep the charge of the Lord the word there keep the charge means to observe the function that you're about to have This is how your new life is going to be. Aaron and his sons had to stay here for seven straight days that they would realize that this is what their life was now. And thus God's calling must be their passion seven days a week. It's funny, I saw Family Circle, the article, it's got the whole family. It's a comic, not article, comic. And it had the kid and he was at church and you could see he was talking to the pastor and he says to him, so what do you do the other six days of the week? (laughs) I have people ask me that sometimes. I say, what do you do? What is your job like? I mean, you get up and teach on Sunday and do you just kind of stay home all the rest of the week? I say, oh, yeah, I got a cot in the back. My wife makes me tea and whatever, and I just hang out. I tell people, say, oh, I feel like maybe God's called me to the ministry. And I say, do you understand what that means? That's 24-7. You're never off, technically. I set family day where I'm not really available for anything else. But if someone's in the hospital, I'm probably going to go visit them. It's 24-7. There are times when you get a call and somebody needs you right then and there. Yes, sometimes they always don't need you right then and there, and you don't go. But sometimes you need to go. This was going to be their life. And so they're going to hang out with the Lord for seven days. Sometimes that life gets lonely and you need to rely upon your relationship with the Lord to sustain you. You can't worry about all the crowds because we're going to have a pretty cool moment at the end of chapter nine. We're going to have an awesome cool moment where for Aaron and his sons, they're going to feel like rock stars. They're going to be like, wow, look at we're a part of. Look at what we get to do. This is awesome. And there are moments as you're serving God, if you've ever been involved in any type of ministry where it's like that, where you're serving the Lord and just seems like God's moving left and right. And you're like, this is awesome. And then there's other days where you're like, what am I? I doing? I don't get it, God. I don't feel like I'm making any impact. I don't see your hand moving in any way. And no one is giving you a pat on the back saying, good job. You have to be able to learn to be content with the Lord in the stillness and in the silence without the crowds of people there. You have to be comfortable just being able to sit at his feet and to say, Lord, it's just you and me, and I'm okay with that. It is important for any spiritual leader to first spend consistent personal time with the Lord. No one can correctly serve God without having a relationship with Him first. Leaders need time alone with God like every other man and woman. Jesus Himself would wake up early to spend time alone with God the Father. We should do the same. 
If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.